Hacks is back for season three, and so is the official Hacks podcast. In each episode, Hacks creators Lucia Agnello, Paul W. Downs, and Jen Statsky speak with cast and crew members to unpack the Emmy-winning comedy series. You'll hear Hannah Einbinder and Gene Smart speak to their on-screen dynamic, along with stories from the show's writer's room, on-set antics, and creating the world that Deborah and Ava inhabit. Watch Hacks, streaming exclusively on Max, and listen to the official Hacks podcast on Max or wherever you get your podcasts. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Right. Sometimes I dream of becoming an actor. Have you ever dreamt of becoming an actor? Maureen, what is it you think I'd do for a living? Never mind, sounds like you need the New York Film Academy. NIFA offers workshops, BFA and MFA degrees and summer camps in filmmaking, acting, journalism and more, online and on campuses across the globe. To make films alongside industry professionals, explore more at nyfa.edu. Thanks, Brett. Thank you, Maureen. Look out, it's only films to be buried with. Hello and welcome to Films To Be Buried With. My name is Brett Goldstein. I'm a comedian, an actor, a writer, a director, a cheese puff, and I love films. As Richard E. Bird once said, Few men during their lifetime come anywhere near exhausting the resources dwelling within them. There are deep wells of strength that are never used. You think you couldn't make it through all five hours and 14 minutes of Fanny and Alexander, but you can and you could and you will and you'll even enjoy it too. Deep. Every week I invite a special guest over, I tell them they've died, then I get them to discuss their life through the films that meant the most to them. Previous guests include Barry Jenkins, Himesh Patel, Mark Frost, Sharon Stone, Jamila Jamil and even Bed A. Ambles. But this week... It's the brilliant horror film director, Rob Savage. You can watch all of Ted Lasso, seasons one to three, and all of Shrinking season one on Apple TV+. Give them a watch, like them, love them. Head over to the Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Brett Goldstein, where you get an extra 20 minutes with Rob. We chat, we talk secrets, he talks about the best beginning to a film. You get the whole episode uncut and ad-free with all sorts of extra stuff. Check it out over at patreon.com forward slash Brett Goldstein. So Rob Savage. Rob Savage is an excellent director. He directed Host. He directed Dashcam. He directed the first two episodes of Soulmates. And now he has a film in the cinema called The Boogeyman, which you should also see. He's an excellent director. A very nice man. We recorded this on Zoom a few weeks ago. And he was an absolute joy. And I really think you're going to enjoy this one. And if you haven't seen The Boogeyman, go see it at the cinema. So that is it for now. I very much hope you enjoy episode 254 of Films to be Buried with. Hello and welcome to Films to be Buried with. It is I, Brett Goldstein, and I am joined today by a writer, a producer, a director, a soulmater, a true horrorer, and one of the finest horror directors of his generation, here with his new film and all sorts of other things. Will you please welcome to the show, it's the brilliant, it's the amazing, it's the wonderful, it's Rob Savage! 
<laughs> thank you. Hello. How are you? I'm not bad. How are you doing? I'm all right, thank you. Are you in LA? I am. Yeah, I'm in Burbank. Where about you? Uh, I'm in LA too. Oh, yeah, yeah. Now, Rob Savage, for those of you who don't know, we first met, you directed the first two episodes of Soulmates very, very, very well. But that is a show all about love. And ever since then, you've made fucking incredible horrors. <laughs> and it turns out you're the fucking horror guy. I got all, I got all the love out of my sister. Yeah, we, we milked you for your love and then you, and then you went dark. And you made Host, which I think is a fucking masterpiece that you made Thank in you. lockdown, which is a Zoom film. It scared the shit out of me. It's fucking amazing. Then you made Dashcam, and now you've made uh, The Boogeyman, which I went to a preview of with May Martin. And it is big. That is a big old fucking Hollywood film. And I have many questions for you. And one of the things... It's I, a real movie. It's a real big movie. And you're so good at set pieces. I was thinking that. When I, there's so many bits in it where you're like, yeah, this is like... Uh, listen, I think you're good at lots of things, but you're very good at set pieces. <laughs> like, you're very good at, like, just sort of ideas of, like, when the girl's looking under the bed, the way you film that, and I won't spoil anything, but the way you light it, it's, like, such a good idea. <laughs> Stuff like that. Yeah. You have really good ideas of, like, where to hide things. Well, I think idea is the word. Like, I always try every single scare scene, I try and have, like, a central idea behind it. Like, I'll, li I'll literally put it up mm. on the walls. We'll, we'll do cards on the walls. And be like, what's the thing that you'll tell your friend about in this scene? What's the, if you could boil it down to one like drunken slurred description of this at the bar, what would it be? Mm -hmm. And I find like if you can hook it around just one thing that's really easy to get your hands around, people really respond to it. Yeah, it's fucking great. And, and tell me this, like having gone from host, which is very small and you made with your friends and then dash cam, which is, which is bigger, but still seems more contained. Tiny budget still. Yeah. Yeah, to this, which feels like a proper Hollywood movie made with, I'm assuming, lots of execs and, and studio. And how was it for you transitioning into that? How was all the kind of relationships part of that? Was it easy? Was it difficult? Did they trust you? Can you tell me? <laughs> yeah, I think one of the benefits of having done a couple of movies, especially Host, where we made it for nothing. We made it on our own backs. Mm. Every creative decision came down to me. It was like it wasn't, it wasn't a movie that was swarmed with execs. And then it goes on and does well. Your voice in the room suddenly has a lot more clout. So when you're sitting there with all the execs, you're speaking as, as the person who made Host, which carries carried a lot of weight at the, the time when I came on board, which was right after Host. And um, wow. no, I was, I mean, I was spoiling for a fight when I came on board. I was like, I was so ready to be fucked over in every which way. And it just wasn't like that. It wasn't like that. Right. I remember when I first started working with American people, I just didn't trust them at all. <laughs> I just, I thought, I thought they were sneaky, and um, and uh, and I and I, I wasted, I wasted a good, good couple of years working with American producers, but just being really guarded and and fighting them on every single thing, and just being a being a nuisance. Mm. And so I was really, you know, I was really wary of not doing that on this one, making sure to go with my gut and, and, and not back down, but also not to just not to be a dickhead, you know. And, and mm. from the very beginning, we were all kind of on the same page about what we wanted this movie to be. It wasn't an A24 movie. It wasn't The Witch. I wasn't trying to sneak in, you know, a, a Bo is Afraid under the guise of a studio movie. I wanted to do, yeah. I wanted to do a, a popcorn movie, but just a really good one. And so when they, when they figured out that I was doing just that and I wasn't, you know, I wasn't trying to shortchange them and make an art movie, they were perfectly happy to yeah. leave me alone it's great that's great it also sounded like it seemed very genuine and i know that, that at the screening i was at the a lot of the actors were there and you did a q a stuff everyone seemed really really 
nice about you. As in, it seemed very, very genuine. Like they'd all had, that the actors had a really good time with you and that it'd been a really good experience on set with them and stuff. And there's like real emotional shit in it. And I, and you obviously created a good atmosphere for everyone. It's impressive. Yeah, I think they, I mean, it helps that we got such a silly title. So everyone, everyone reads that they got an offer coming in for the boogeyman and they roll their eyes and then, you know, you, you, it can only go up from there. So, <laughs> so as soon as they, as soon as they realize you want them to do real acting and you're going to give them real notes and, you know, and the script's got some really meaty bits in it, you know, you just see their eyes light up. They reanimate suddenly because, because they get to do, they get to do these really beautiful grounded scenes that just happen to be in a movie about a silly monster. Can I ask you this? How much was practical effects and how much is CGI? On like a percentage in that film, all the creature is CGI. It's no practical at all. But we had a guy. We had a guy in a spotted suit who was, you know, every time a lamp was getting knocked yeah. over or somebody was was fighting it back, we had that real guy throwing his weight around. Because when you're working with CG, it's all about giving weight to the character. So every time yeah, step, yeah. stepping on something, we needed a real depression. It was all about how he interacts with the world. It's pretty impressive. There's one thing you said at this Q and A, which I would love you to repeat here, if you don't mind about because i hadn't even really thought about it that it was a monster movie like i watched it and i it as in i didn't think of that as the genre that it is and then you said a thing about jaws and your and your edit suite can you say that oh yeah well i was always coming at this movie as a haunted house movie even though it's got this flesh and blood mm. monster that that um that really wrestles with the characters at the end and you see it and it's it's a monster it's not a ghost but i treated it like something a bit more spectral that was that was um, lurking in the shadows. And I really wanted to make sure that you didn't see too much of it. I didn't want people to leave this movie feeling like, oh, I've seen the boogeyman. He's not all that. If we, you know, if we demystified <laughs> the boogeyman, then that would just be, that would be awful. So yeah. I had, I had on the wall of the edit, the amount of screen time that um, the shark is in Jaws and then the amount of screen time that the alien is in Aliens. And I wanted to make sure that we didn't ever go above that. And in fact, we're, I think we're a second less of the shark in Jaws and we're a second less of the alien and aliens. So we re it's really, it's pretty minimal, but still pretty, you know, but still pretty scary. Congratulations. I think it will be a very successful film. Do you know what you're doing next? I got one lined up. I mean, things have stalled a bit because of the, the writer's strike, which, you know, go writers. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm happily taking a break. But um, there's another movie that's sort of, in, sort of in a similar vein. It's another kind of demonic horror movie based on one of my short films. Which one? Salt. Oh, fantastic. When I said to you, I realized as I said it, I said, you're a horror guy. And then I thought, oh, maybe you'd be offended by that. And, you, and you'd be like, no, I want to do 300 types of different things. Or do you actually sort of like being, no, I want to do horror. Love being the horror guy. No, because horror is okay, like, right. horror's like, it's like, a, it's like a sugar pill. You know, you can kind of do anything within horror. Like this, yeah. this movie, I'm, you know, I'm really proud of the performances and some of the, some of the, some of the scenes that are just the family working through their their trauma in this movie that have no monster at all are some of the best scenes in the movie or some of the scenes that I'm the proudest of. And, and you can do that within horror and you can still get big audiences because of the promise of monsters jumping out of closets. But um, it, it, yeah. there's, there's a, just a bit of a trade-off and you can really do anything so long as you deliver on the scares. Well, Rob, there's one other thing I forgot to tell you. I meant to tell you when I saw you earlier in the week, actually, but uh, I didn't get a chance because you was doing, uh, you know... Lots of people were trying to talk to you and I thought, ah, sure, I probably shouldn't interrupt and tell him this. <laughs> but I did at the time think I must tell him. But then I thought, no, I'll tell him when, he, when we talk on the podcast. So I'll just tell you now. I'll tell you, you've died. You're dead. Dead. Shit. Dead. 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 How did you die? If it's coming back to me correctly, I think I froze to death. 
I think I froze. Oh, wow. it was maybe it was maybe like liquid nitrogen. It was definitely something sci-fi. Oh wow! I got knocked over, or I was pushed, or something, and I shattered into just a million pieces. You had a T one thousand death. Yeah, or Jason X. Wow, shit! Do you know how you got covered in liquid nitrogen? That bit I don't remember. That bit I don't remember. I think I was just walking down yeah. the street, and next next moment there was like a fissure in the earth, and it squirted up nitrogen all over you. I think maybe, or maybe there was some truck that had that had liquid nitrogen in it, if that's a thing, and it just poured yeah. on me accidentally. It's not a bad way to go, as long as it sort of all hits you at once. I'm wondering how long it takes till you're frozen and dead. It was it was a two tiered thing, you know. I okay. I remember freezing and then being frozen and then teetering. And then it was falling and shattering that really hurt. Right. That's the bit. Fuck. Yeah, I wonder yeah. in the frozen, in the section where you're frozen, you're still conscious. You're still like, oh, fuck. Yeah. I've lost my balance. That oh, was shit. actually... Smash my head. That's my worst fear, actually, is dying in a hilarious way. But and, and knowing in the last moments how hilarious the death is. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to look so stupid. Bang. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Did you ever hear there was this, there's this story, I think about this story all the time, there's this, there was this guy who, um, he was like a Wall Street guy, like a kind of cocaine sniffing Wall Street guy. And he, um, he got unbreakable glass installed on his, in his office windows. He was at the top of this big skyscraper and he had a client over and he was showing off his new unbreakable windows and he was ramming it with his shoulder being like, look, this it's never going to break. I can do anything. Throwing his phone at it. And he ran at it and the window didn't break, but it, popped out of the uh, out of its socket oh, shit. and he fell and splattered on the ground and the window didn't break he did but the window didn't break when he landed oh wow jesus <laughs> christ that's a great way to die not a bad way to die but that's the that's what i'm most afraid of in that moment yeah that just just realizing what a tit you've made of yourself as you plummet towards the ground <laughs> to be fair to you in your in your liquid nitrogen death it doesn't seem like it's your fault, unless you've gone, unless you're trying to impress a woman and you're going, look at this pot of liquid nitrogen. I bet it wouldn't hurt me. I bet I, could, but I can drink it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It seems fairly like uh, accidental that it happened to you, but like you say, you don't remember how it happened. So maybe it was you were trying to impress a lady. I think I'm, I think I'm, block, I'm, block, I'm blocking out the humiliating aspect of it, probably. <laughs> yeah, that, that adds up now. Do you, do you worry about death? I mean, you must think about it a lot in your job. Yeah, I, no, I don't. I don't really. I think I did a lot more when I was when I was younger and moodier. I think I kind of I've kind of just built a life where I'm so busy that I don't really have time to worry about death. I think that's the way that I stave off most worrying is just by keeping. I'm just doing things all yes. the time. Yes, that's the secret. That's how I avoid all feelings. Yes, isn't it? Yeah. If just you keep if you stop. Moving. If you stop for a moment, it all catches up. I mean, it's really, it's quite elastic. It bounces back pretty fast. But so long as you keep moving. Keep, keep fucking moving, son. <laughs> what about you? What about you? Oh, I just keep fucking moving and never think about anything. <laughs> yeah, great. <laughs> I don't think, I don't. <laughs> what do you think happens when you die? I think probably it's just curtains. It's just black. Black curtains. It's just black curtains descend on you, swaddle you. But I don't know. But then I don't. I don't believe that I know anything. So it's probably the opposite of what I think. It's probably probably eternal damnation. Cur curtains opening up. Oh, yeah. It's it's. This is probably just the first stage. You know what is interesting? I've done a lot of these. Done a lot of these episodes. No one. I don't think, unless I'm being rude and forgetting someone. No one's ever thought they're going to hell. Like it almost never yeah. comes up. Hell, despite all that has been put out in the world, hell rarely shows up on this show. 
which is interesting. Yeah. For a thing that was really, you know, pumped, pumped into the world that no, no one's really bought into hell. But you have, you're the first. <laughs> yeah. Cool. I'm certain. Finally, if, someone. If, if, if it exists, if it exists, that's where I'm heading. Fantastic. What do you think hell is? It's probably being forced to rewatch all of, I mean, there's a theme emerging here. It's probably being forced to watch all the most humiliating moments or, or disapp- moments you've disappointed yourself or uh, or things, relationships you yeah. fucked up and and uh, opportunities missed for eternity. Fucking hell. Yeah, that's good. You're good at this horror shit. <laughs> i got news for you. There is a hell, but you ain't going. You're hey. going to heaven. And heaven is filled with your favorite things. It's filled with your favorite thing. What is it? Movies. Well, all right. There's movie, wall-to-wall movies everywhere. And everyone is very excited to see you. They're big fans of everything you've done, including all, hu- all your humiliating stuff. Some of them watch that stuff and they go, hey, it's all understandable. What a great guy. And <laughs> they want to talk to you about your life. They want to talk about your life through film. And the first thing they ask you is, what is the first film you remember seeing, Rob Savage? You know, I think the first movie that I ever saw, remember seeing, was Hercules, the Disney movie. Amazing. And I don't know if I've even seen it since, but it's a weird one because the thing that I remember most was the Happy Meal toy that I got of the movie, not the movie itself. I got a Happy Meal toy of the little, of the the Hydra that Hercules has to fight. Oh, great. And that was such a special thing because it was the first time I ever got to go to McDonald's. I was raised vegan, no sugar, no salt, nothing fun. And my friend's dad took us to McDonald's and I was forced to like swear that I wouldn't tell my parents. So I had this little contraband Hydra and um, and I kept it, I kept it from my parents. Like it was, you know, it was, it was like a murder weapon or something. So I had to hide it away. How old were you? God, I don't know. I was tiny. I must've been like, I don't know. I don't know ages. I'm not good with ages. I was probably, I was anywhere, anywhere between five and 15. So was that the first burger you'd eaten? Yeah, I think the first proper burger that wasn't made of lentils. Wow, shit. You must have been like, dung, 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 dung. Oh, it was amazing. And my mouth was so dry from all the salt. I remember I, <laughs> felt, I felt like I was a mummy. But I do remember, I do remember, <laughs> I do remember the height. I mean, that's the only bit I remember from the movie, I think, because of the toy was the height, the, him fighting the Hydra and the, the kind of green blood and the decapitation. I mean, I guess it, I guess it tracks. Yeah, yeah, it really does. It, that, that was the toy you got. You didn't get Hercules, you got the monster. Yeah, yeah. And I, and I remember being really fascinated by the, you, you know, when the Hydra got beheaded, it wasn't just kind of cartoon. You saw like the bone and you saw the, the windpipe of the creature. It's like, it's quite, it's quite full on. And it was like that really early, yeah. it's that really early CGI that looked really terrible, but was amazing, like just was amazing at that age. Are you an only child or do you have siblings? I got a brother. Older or younger? Younger. Okay. So he wasn't there. I can't imagine so. He, he, he wasn't there at Hercules. He might not have existed then. Oh, wow. <laughs> Wild. Yeah. Okay, what is the film that made you cry the most? Do you cry? Are you a crier? Yeah, I'm a big cry. Anything makes me cry. But, I, you know, I think you'll probably relate to this. As somebody who, who, who constantly moves to, to evade any feeling, movies make me cry more than life. Oh, yeah, 100%. Because that, that's where you stop, right? You move, you move, you move, and then you stop and watch a film, and then you cry for two hours, and then you <laughs> gather and run. <laughs> It sounds healthy when you say it. <laughs> yeah, I think so. <laughs> I think the movie, weirdly, that makes me cry the most is the ending of the assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford. Great movie. Incredible movie. And there's a sequence that shows, I mean, it's 2000, 2007 when it came out. It's not going to be a spoiler. It's, it, it's, the, it's the sequence that shows what happened to... It's a, yeah, what happened to, to Bob after he 
after he killed Jesse James and, and was then himself assassinated. Mm. And it's it's just, it's about the, his how his life transpired after he imagined that he'd be living in glory after after killing the only person who he ever admired and, and looked up to and, and, and maybe loved. Part of it's the score. It's got Nick Cave and Warren Ellis have the, the, just the most beautiful cue that, that plays mm. over that scene. And, and um, there's something... I can't quite I can't quite get at it with words, but there's something about the idea of what it takes to be great and how some people just don't have it in them. And some people, you know, the last words of the movie is is it talks about Robert Ford staring up at the ceiling and not being able to find the right words to say before he dies. And there's something about just being mm. being inarticulate and be, and having aspirations of greatness, but having them always just beyond your reach. That that movie that movie it just feels like it's so profoundly articulates that idea it's so interesting now i um, was thinking when you're saying that like amadeus for example yeah is another film about like a, a, a special person and the person next to them and the person next to them is the story and maybe because that's what we more relate to and you know the book of prayer for owen meany do you know that book which is also no some some sort of a film it's kind of about this very special person owen meany but it's told by his best friend and his best friend, his whole thing is, I will never be this special, you know. Yeah. And, and yet as the reader, you're relating to the friend much more than you are the special genius person because that's how we all feel, I think. It's much more relatable to be Robert Ford than it is Jesse James, right? Yeah. Because we all don't feel great and special. Totally. I assume. Totally. And, and the thing the film does so beautifully is it shows how burden jesse james is by the legend that the legend almost becomes something that he mm. can't it's almost this it's almost like a, a spirit that's been conjured it's not like it's not anything that he's in control of and ultimately you know there's that beautiful scene which again is pr it's pr probably the point where i start crying in that movie about two hours in he realizes that the two ford brothers are going to kill him and he goes and fixes fixes the picture almost as a surrender if you know if these two people who i've i've mm. i've been my authentic self with at the are here to to kill me for a, for some fleeting glory. I'm just going to turn my back to them and see what happens. It's like yeah, it's a beautiful scene. Weirdly, it's a bit like Marie Antoinette, the Sofia Coppola film. Yeah, in that both that and this film, I would argue, are also kind of about celebrity, and they're also about Brad Pitt and <laughs> Kirsten Dunst. Like Marie Antoinette is a film about Kirsten Dunst. I think it's like a love letter to her and it's and it's the impossibility of being Kirsten Dunst yeah and then being misunderstood as a celebrity or whatever and with Jesse James it's like it's Brad Pitt it's Brad Pitt as a celebrity beloved movie star that can never really be this thing that everyone yeah projects something onto and that yeah and as that film goes on he becomes sort of bleaker because he's sort of like has to for any of this to survive he has to be yeah a shell yeah that, and it's the I mean, it's the only movie where he looks like vaguely his own age. You know, he looks like he looks haggard, and yeah. and his eyes are so deep set. And there's that there's that beautiful bit at the beginning where it's like the voiceover is talking about he had this he had this this condition where he was always he was always blinking like he was kind of overwhelmed by the world, and it was kind of like this beautiful poetic reading over this this shot of Brad Pitt staring unblinking into the sun. And it's almost like the narration is kind of like mythologizing him even as we're seeing him and it doesn't match up. Yeah. There's this constant mismatch of how he's presented and the actuality of him. Great, great answer. Now, is the big one for you. What is the film that scared you the most? I've got a really boring answer for this because it's The Exorcist. 
Oh, great. Won't be the movie I talk about. Only because, only because I, I, I mean, I already talked about growing up in this, this vegan lentil household, but I was, always, I was also raised for a few years without a TV. They, my parents tried to raise me with no, no TV, which backfired. Yeah. But they really, <laughs> really didn't want me to watch scary movies. And so that was all I wanted to watch. Mm. And The Exorcist, wow. The Exorcist and Silence of the Lambs were the two that my dad, my dad took me to the side one day and said, and said, listen, I know you're going to watch horror movies because we've told you not to, but just person <laughs> to person, there's two movies I want you to not watch. And that's Silence of the Lambs and The Exorcist. <laughs> you immediately went to the video. Immediately. Show. I get Silence of the Lambs and Exorcist, please. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly, exactly. But they wow, what? They had such an aura around them. He must have known what he was doing. He must have been like, these two are good, I can let you watch them. He must have known, that's crazy. Maybe. <laughs> but it really, I had this feeling watching The Exorcist, after it had finished, feeling like maybe my DNA had been altered in some way. Like, it, like I'd done something so bad that I couldn't walk back on it. And I felt so, so ashamed. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, so that one that one was a big one. How old how old were you? Do you remember that? I know you don't know age, but was it like were you very young or were you a teenager? I think I was like 15 maybe. I think I watched that a little later. Okay. Partly cuz I I yeah, really I really thought that movie was going to curse me in some way. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. Yeah. Weirdly with The Exorcist, I had the sort of I think I saw it too young and I didn't really get it. I sort of thought it was boring and I didn't I didn't find it scary. I thought it was boring and I just thought, this is stupid. And then I watched it only a few years ago. And I was like, this film is fucking terrible and so dark. I didn't realise how dark, dark, dark it is. And exactly that feeling of like, there's something very horrible in this. Like, it feels so real. And when I think it's when she, she wets herself. That scene is so kind of real. And you're just like, oh my God, mm. what's going on here? Yeah. And it makes you feel so uncomfortable. There's something. Horrible. There's something. There's something in the just the, the the celluloid of that movie that feels a bit evil. It's like I I, mm. I had the exact experience with um, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre recently. I watched it That's around horrible, horrible. I watched it when I, I watched it around the same time, maybe when I was fourteen, <laughs> and I was so I was such a gore hound then that I was kind of disappointed by it because there's no there's really not very much on screen yeah. gore. It's all just to the vibe of that movie is so yeah. is so nasty and and, and oppressive. And then I didn't watch it for like 10 years, over 10 years. And then I got asked to do, they're doing a Blu-ray release and I got asked to do a, an interview about it. And I said, yeah, yeah, I'd love to. And they sent me the, the, the remastered version of it. And I watched it on a plane to New Orleans, which is where we shot The Boogeyman. And about, oh, cool. about halfway into it, is that, no, it's the scene where they're at the dinner table and granddad comes out with the hammer. I just realized, mm -hmm. I realized that I hadn't taken a breath in for about 30 seconds. And I was like, oh, I'm having a panic attack. And I literally had to yeah. get up and walk, walk up and down. I couldn't finish the movie. It was like, it was so, there was something so just like relentlessly unpleasant about watching that movie. It's horrible. And I think, I think now it's maybe, it's, it's really horrible. It's like, it's maybe the best horror movie ever made. It's, it's like it, the, the most like viscerally disturbing horror movie ever made. Yeah. Wow. Is that your answer? That's your D those two. I can't after Exorcist. Yeah, those are your two. That's it. One one of them. One of them. I felt like like naughty boy. Like, like my my immortal my immortal soul was maybe tarnished by watching it, and then and then the Texas Chainsaw Massacre is the film that keeps me up at night recently. And what did you think of Silence of the Lambs when you finally saw it the day after the Exorcist? <laughs> 
It's uh, it's it's not this. It, it's not in the same league as as those ones in terms of scares. But I just thought it was brilliant. And actually, it's got the ending of that movie is one of the endings that I reference more than anything else. It's got one of the scariest endings to a horror movie, oh, yeah. where she goes down into the basement and Buffalo Bill uses his his night vision. Yeah, it's just excruciating. Yeah. Hacks is back for season three, and so is the official Hacks podcast. In each episode, Hacks creators Lucia and Yellow, Paul W. Downs, and Jen Statsky speak with cast and crew members to unpack the Emmy-winning comedy series. You'll hear Hannah Einbinder and Gene Smart speak to their on-screen dynamic, along with Hacks writer and actor Pat Regan, on how their improv experience helped them when shooting scenes and what it was like writing scripts for specific actors. You'll also hear from crew members like the costume designers on what it was like creating the world that Deborah and Ava inhabit. Hear stories from the show's writer's room, on-set antics, and more. Watch Hacks streaming exclusively on Max and listen to the official Hacks podcast on Max or wherever you get your podcasts. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Maureen, what's this I hear about you going to film school? I am. I want to gain valuable skills while making films and developing my creativity. So I'm attending the New York Film Academy. I'm thinking about becoming one of them people that writes the numbers on the title board. NIFA is a very respected film school. I hear they offer a variety of options to meet your educational goals, whether you want a BFA or MFA degree or want to learn at a quicker pace with a short-term programme. That's right. They've got workshops and summer camps in filmmaking, acting, cinematography, screenwriting, producing, game design, musical theatre and more. Are you attending in New York? Might do. They have multiple campuses in some amazing locations like New York, LA, Miami, Italy, Australia and online. And you can learn more about the New York Film Academy at nyfa.edu. That's nyfa.edu. Thanks, Maureen. What is the film that you love? Most people don't like it. It's not critically acclaimed, but you love it forever and a day. Rob Savage. The Village. I like The Village. The Village is great, isn't it? I like The Village. Really underrated. Yeah. The Village is great. I think it's it's the movie that everyone kind of agrees is where M. Night started going downhill. But I, I thought, yeah. I think it's I think it's one of my favorite of his movies. I remember seeing it and it was the first time I went to see a movie with a bunch of friends and I left. I left being like, that was, that was amazing. And everyone else is like, it felt like everyone else had seen a different movie. I just thought yeah. it was, it has such a kind of sadness to it, that movie, that when you find out the secret as mm. to why everyone's, I mean, not ruining the twist, but you know why they why they are where where they are and, and why they've made the decisions they've made. It's so um, it's got a, it's got a, a real heaviness that feels lived in that doesn't feel flippant or cheap to me, and it's really truly scary. And there are images in the movie that I you know since I saw it as a as a kid, like it haven't left me. The the walkers in the woods are, are, are still genuinely terrifying, and the the sequence where. What is it? Bryce Dallas Howard tries to is 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 um is running back to to Joaquin Phoenix and he's reaching out his hand and they're, they're yelling at him to shut the door. The tension in that scene is just Hitchcockian. So it's some yeah. some of M Night's best directing in that movie. I remember thinking this is the village because I thought this. What what's his film after that? That I like. Sometimes I the the films of his that I don't love. I still go. 
He's a very good director. Even when mm -hmm. sometimes his, I don't like the writing of the film. I think he can't help himself as a director. Like, I think he's a good director. And there's stuff in the village. There's like, I haven't seen a lot of it. There's a scene with Joaquin Phoenix and I think Bryce Dallas had where they're just sitting talking to each other and the whole thing is just their backs. And it's that long shot in the doorway. And I was like, this is fucking great. Like, yeah. He's good. He's good at this. He's really good. There's a thing. I've been thinking about this a lot about there are certain directors who are just great image makers. They make images that stick in your head. Mm. And in whatever you think of the movie, you're going to remember the, these images. I think like Jordan Peele is a filmmaker like that, where he can't help but put these, yeah. these indelible images on screen. Kubrick is the ultimate one, obviously. And then there are filmmakers like David Fincher, who, you know, occasionally he has an image that's really potent, but really he's... He's technically an incredible filmmaker, but I don't think he's got that same... His movies aren't as immediately iconic as some of these other filmmakers. And I think M. Night can't help but be iconic in the way he directs things. Mm. Yeah, I think you're right. What is the film that you used to love, but you've watched it recently and you thought, I don't like this anymore? No, thanks. So I don't, don't, I don't want to get into this one too much, but Manhattan is the one that I watched recently that, that just doesn't... Um, Fair enough. And it's still a beautiful movie in a lot of ways. I mean, Gordon Willis's cinematography is, is beautiful. There are lots of amazing scenes, but it's, it's, you know, there are a lot of movies that are being, you have to kind of recontextualize in the wake of it being 2021 or 2021. No, it's 2023. Fuck. That was the last. <laughs> Jesus Christ. How long have I been asleep? <laughs> uh, and, and, uh, uh, and you just, I, like, I, I watched this movie recently and it used to be my favourite Woody Allen movie and now all I can see is a middle-aged man writing a 17-year-old character justifying through her voice him wanting to sleep mm. sleep with 17-year-olds. And it's, yeah. it's, you know, I think a lot of movies like this, when you watch them young and you've got different ideas about love and romance, like, I used to think it was such a romantic movie and now it feels mm. very sleazy to watch. It's such a shame because that ending, the very last minute of that film is so... I always was like, that's one of the great endings, but... You're right. Everything is tainted. Yeah. <laughs> no, what it is? <laughs> I feel the same way. It's, it's, that, was the, that was one of my favorite yeah. endings ever. You've got to have a little faith in people. And then you, yeah. you realize that that's Woody Allen that's writing a... for a 17-year-old girl, t telling, her, telling him to sleep with her. <laughs> <laughs> what is the film that means the most to you? Not necessarily the film itself is any good, but the experience you had around seeing the film will always make it special to you. There's a movie called Ghost Ship that, uh, from the early 2000s. The Michael Bay, Juliana Margulies. Yes. It, it, it? Did Michael Bay produce yeah. it? I think it's a Michael Bay produced, wasn't it? Platinum Dunes, wasn't it their, one of their first things? Oh, maybe. I could be wrong. I was obsessed with that movie as a kid. I used to watch it over and over and over. And really? um, the memory that I that I associate with that film is I used to carry it around, the, the DVD of it, in my, my school bag. And it was the end of term when we'd done all our tests, we'd done all our exams, we had no more work to do. And the teacher said, well, we're not going to do any work today. This was English class. She said, has anyone got a movie we can throw on? And I had Ghost Ship and I took it out of the case. It was an you know, 18 certificate movie. And I handed it to the teacher. I think I was about 15. And she played Ghost Ship. And anyone who's seen Ghost Ship knows the only reason to talk about Ghost Ship is the opening scene of that movie where um, the producer, Joel Silver, had said, I want to have the most decapitations of any movie in one scene, in our opening scene. And it's got, it's got this scene where the, the, uh, the, the, what is it, the awning of the ship, the, the, um, the wire that holds up the lights suddenly becomes, comes loose and whips across this dance floor full of 100 people and cuts them all to bits. 
in classic early 2000s style, they don't realize they've been cut open and then slowly they start to slide off into, into pieces. <laughs> and it's just missed the head of our child protagonist. It's just flown over the top. And uh, I remember, I mean, to her credit, the teacher let the whole scene play. And then as soon as the title comes up over that, the shot of all the writhing body parts, she just ejected it and handed it back to me silently. <laughs> we didn't talk about it. <laughs> but I was a legend. I was a legend for, for a couple of weeks after that. Yeah. <laughs> they carried you out on their shoulders, I bet. Yeah. What a fucking day. <laughs> exactly. What is the film you most relate to, Rob Savage? The movie, the movie that I remember seeing and feeling feeling the most seen by was Spike Jones's Where the Wild Things Are. That just it felt like Fuck yeah. Yeah. God, that's sad, that film. It's so sad. And it's so it's so sad. It's you know, I grew up mostly just like playing on my own on my nan's farm. Like I was a you know, I was a lonely, lonely child with a Where was this? What in Shropshire. So Right. Very, very beautiful, very idyllic. But, you know, it was just me and my imagination for, for long periods of time. And there's something that that movie gets so right about how melancholy it can be, be to be a kid sometimes and the kind of loneliness of being a kid and the frustration of being a kid and not understanding how other people tick and how they work and struggling to learn how to relate to people. There's a scene where his his older sister, they're having a snowball fight and she makes him cry. And then rather than comforting him, she goes off and drives off with her cool friends and he goes to her bedroom and he's made her this like thing out of um, lollipop sticks that clearly meant a lot to him and he put a lot of work into it. In a rage, he breaks it into pieces and then Spike just like sits with him for a moment as he realizes he's done this thing that he can't undo and that he's ruined this, this, this gesture that meant a lot to him and meant a lot in his relationship with his sister. And it just sit, sits with that feeling of, of the rage subsiding and the, the kind of sadness kicking in. And that, mo that movie is so, just, just speaks to that feeling of being a lonely kid so well. So I, I saw that and I, and I thought that was, that was spot on. I saw that a bunch of times in the cinema. You're answering these very well. You're doing very well. That's a really, really good shout. It's so sad, that film. It really made me very sad. <laughs> I really, I really, yeah, I get you. What is the sexiest film? ever made Rob Savage Species 2 Species 2 Species 2 Species 2 not Species 1 remind me of Species 2 Species 2 it's like I, I wasn't really watching it as a movie so much as um, <laughs> from what I remember there's an alien there's an alien that manifests as a naked woman and yes Natasha Henstridge yes yes exactly no you've 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 put more thought into this than I have <laughs> but <laughs> oh I know species but I'm not so so hot on species two. species two well it was just because it was on tv it was on tv and the I think it was in the radio times and they had a picture of the woman whose name I've immediately forgotten and I Natasha Henstridge Natasha Henstridge and so I snuck downstairs at about one in the morning I think it was on channel five no of course it was on channel five it was on channel five at one yeah. in the morning, I snuck downstairs and I taped it off the TV. And it was again, I mean, a lot of these stories are about me passing around illicit movies in my class. But it, I like, I would literally, all of my friends would get this copy of Species 2. It would go around and eventually got, eventually <laughs> got worn down until it was just, uh, till it was just flickering, uh, flickering white noise on the screen. But <laughs> great shout. <laughs> Wonderful actor. Wonderful actor. What, uh, the subcategory to this question, traveling bonus, worrying why, Johns. 
a film you found arousing, you weren't sure you should. I don't know if I got, I, I don't have a specific answer for this, but I think as a child, just on the cusp of, of adolescence, any, any Disney movie where the, the, the animal character had long eyelashes gave me very weird sensations. <laughs> That's it, and it? it's just long eyelashes. That's all it takes. They could be a, a fox or, a, or yeah. a, a stray dog. Doesn't matter. Yeah, could be a lady dog, a fox, could be. That's it, isn't it? Are there any others? A lion? A lot, definitely a lion. Could be a lady lion. <laughs> <laughs> what is objectively, objectively, the greatest film of all time? Not your favorite, but the greatest. Objectively. Objectively, I think if you were to subject, if you were to, to feed every movie into a into a machine and, and through science come up with that answer, it would be a space odyssey. 2001 a space odyssey. I don't think I don't think there's a movie that's stuck in the consciousness as long as that movie that looks still as amazing as that movie does, even when it's blown up on the big screen to 70 millimeter. I don't think that's a movie that's as profound and open-ended as that movie, a movie that you could watch today and still feel like you haven't got all of its, um, you kind of haven't unraveled all of its mysteries. It's got the greatest cut of all time. It's the only, it's the only Kubrick movie, I think, that's properly emotional. And it just happens that that scene is is the death of an AI, but it's it's yeah. really emotional, involving in a way that his other films aren't. And it's full of images. It's full of images that you, once you see them, you'll never forget. I mean, probably more packed, yeah. full of iconic images than any other movie. Yeah, you can have it. What's your, what's your answer to that one? What's you your answer it. to that one? It's Don't Look Now. Pretty good. It's my answer to the greatest, as in pinnacle of cinema. Yeah. You sort of go, what can cinema do? It can do that. Time. It can deal with time in a way. Yeah. You know what I mean? It can deal with, deal with love, sex, grief, time, life in a way that I don't know many other art forms can. Yeah. Like what, what Don't Look Now does in this sex scene in particular, which is often talked about, but it does the thing of you watch the post-sex at the same time you watch the sex at the same time you watch the pre. And as Donald Sutherland's getting dressed after this, the first time they've clearly reconnected and it's very beautiful, they've reconnected, but, but there's almost like, I don't know what the word for it, it's like preemptive nostalgia. It's like, mm. even as it's happening, he's mourning the fact that it will be over. Yeah. You know what I mean? That this moment has already passed, and it's this lovely memory, but it's happening at the same time as it's actually happening. And it's that feeling, I have that feeling a lot of, I, listen, I'll tell you this, I don't mind saying it. When we made Ted Lasso, I would have that feeling a lot of knowing like, this is so fucking special and one day it will be over. <laughs> and I'd feel it in the middle of, we'd still have months to go, but I'd still have that sadness of yeah. nostalgia for a thing that is still happening. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think Don't Look Now captures that yeah. in a in very impressive way. No, I'd never heard that sequence talked about like that, but that's so true. I think there's a passage in Watchmen, the, the Alan Moore comic, where it kind of describes mm -hmm. how Dr. Manhattan sees time and it's and it's talking about it, it, he's yeah. he's talking about it all in present tense. He's saying, you know, I'm I'm meeting the love of my life, and at the same time, she's throwing her wedding ring back in my face and we're breaking up, and I'm also seeing her die, and I'm also making love to her the first time. And it's all encapsulated in this in this moment yeah. that every every good thing holds this 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 possibility and promise of it going away and it it's um decaying. Mm. Well, and the idea in, in Don't Look Now, which is in so many other films, but I think originated from Don't Look Now, this idea of the sixth sense being actually about time, being someone experiencing time all at once, rather than they're seeing the future in the present and, and the past in the present. Like, time is a, yeah. it's a circle that's happening all at the same. It's flat. 
Yeah. Time is a flat circle. Yeah. Have you seen have you seen Lake Mungo? Have I? I fucking <laughs> love Lake Mungo. <laughs> I love it. And where is the guy? Yeah, that's a perfect example. He he's uh I think he's just he's um given up filmmaking. I think he works for a charity now. He's doing real work. He did one and done. Yeah. He made like a perfect film and then said, Well, that'll do. Yeah. He ma- that I think Amazing. that I think is probably the most brilliant film about loneliness, about the loneliness of realizing realizing mm. that we all we all go through it alone ultimately for all the kind of um fanfare. It's it's almost that that same thing, the, the character being haunted by her own future. Lake Mungo, for those of you who haven't seen it, you must see it. It's like a cult classic. It wasn't available, but now it's available again on Blu-ray. Mm. And it's an Australian film made by a filmmaker who then vanished and now works for charity that re- feels like a real documentary. And aside from everything, the performances are genuinely... It's one of those few films where he's like, yeah, this is real. This must be real. Yeah. This feels completely real. Everyone is a real person in a documentary. Completely. About It's amazing. Okay. Uh, what is the film you could or have watched the most over and over again? Evil Dead 2. Nice. It's the movie that taught me about directing. It was the first movie where I noticed the placement of the camera and, the, and, and how that made me feel, how the different choice, directorial choices made me feel. It's like 84 minutes and every single scene feels like your, mm. your favorite scene. You know, you're always watching it, showing it to friends. And every five minutes, you're like, this is the best scene. Best scene's coming up. And then 10 minutes later, you're like, no, 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 this bit, this bit. It's just perfect. And you can tell how much fun Sam Raimi is having and it's infectious and it's properly cinematic and it's scary and it's funny. And it's just, it's it's like, it does does everything you want movies to do in a tight 84. What did you say? It's properly thematic. Is that what you said? Proper, oh, I don't know. I was rambling. Uh, <laughs> it sounded <it> smart. <laughs> Have you seen Evil Dead Rises? Yeah, it's really good. It's really good, right? Yeah. Really well made. Uh, yeah, and it's got that same. It's got the same DNA from Evil Dead too. It's, yeah. it's that movie is like ninety minutes, and and it's I've mm. I've seen it a few times now, and it's like you're like twenty minutes in, you're like, oh fuck, we're here already. She's already getting cheese grated. This is great. It doesn't wait. It doesn't wait around. <laughs> She's. I was thinking about. I guess I've taken it for granted previously, but watching Evil Dead Rises, I'm like, it's a really impressive performance that the mum puts in. I don't know her name, the actor. But Alyssa like, Sutherland. It's a very impressive performance. Alyssa Sutherland, amazing. And like, it must be hard work, all the stuff she's doing in that. It's really good. Yeah. It's it's the good only... performance. It's the only horror franchise that's really performance-based. You know, it's all about this this evil yeah. get, getting inside yeah. of people and then them presenting this kind of pantomime version of all the that character's worst qualities, you know. The Boogeyman's easy. It's just a CG thing that pops out every now and then. But like the Evil Dead, you really have to pitch it. Yeah. You have to pitch it just right. Yeah. Uh, we don't like to be negative. Let's do it quick. What's the worst film you've ever seen? I don't like to shit on movies. So I haven't picked I haven't picked a movie that's actually okay. the the probably objectively the worst film I've ever seen. But but it's the movie that kind of disappointed me the most, which is and this is pro- mm-hmm. this is probably going to be the best movie that's that's ever been the answer to this question, but it's Alfred Hitchcock's Rope. Okay, great. Yeah, yeah. which yeah. I was so excited for. I was working my way through all of his movies and I was like, the idea of, like I knew what it was about, these two kind of intellectuals who hide a body under the table and then host a dinner party. I thought that's a, that's such an amazing Hitchcockian um, conceit. And it, obviously it's based on a real story. And then the idea of Hitchcock shooting the whole thing in single unbroken takes, it just, it like it sounded like such an amazing movie on paper. And then and then the movie happens and you realize that Hitchcock's completely neutered by having to shoot everything in a single take and everything mm. becomes 
clunky and wooden and and the the blocking has to facilitate these these camera moves and the camera has to sprint to get over into the position it wants to be in and you have you know you you've got all this material that would otherwise end up on the cutting room floor that's just there that's laid bare and then mm. and then the script is just full of all this awful cod philosophy and 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 then you know you've got James Stewart who's amazing because he's amazing in everything like valiantly trying to hold it all together but he's acting against Farley Granger who's just one of the worst actors who ever graced the screen and yeah it's just it's such a missed opportunity and I think that's almost more egregious than than a movie that's just outright bad and never stood a chance of being good yeah I'd say that's a very very wise answer there's humor in your films there's some big laughs in, in the boogeyman what's the film that made you laugh the most I bet everyone says this, but Airplane was the movie that where I literally, I literally felt like I was going to die because I couldn't get a breath in. <laughs> I watched it when I was, I watched it when I was maybe twelve or something. Me and my brother watched it, and I just never seen anything. I didn't know you could do that. I'd never seen a movie that was like meta textual in that way, that was referencing its own existence and calling back, and mm. and um, that was playing it so serious but so silly at the same time. That kind of, you know, that that thing that Leslie Nielsen does so perfectly wasn't wasn't in my I like I'd never seen anything like that before it was a, just a revelation and the amount of jokes that were coming at you in such a short amount of time yeah the fact that they were in every shot there's a joke that the movie doesn't care if you see because there's another movie going on in the foreground but if you look in the background there's a sign that you could read that's going to be as funny as the joke in the foreground it was just unreal yeah it's fucking funny it's really really funny and also was it before video I don't know. But the fact that it's, there's so many jokes where it's like, you need to see this twice. Yeah. You need to see this three times because there's three jokes going on. It's great. Hacks is back for season three, and so is the official Hacks podcast. In each episode, Hacks creators Lucia Agnello, Paul W. Downs, and Jen Stadsky speak with cast and crew members to unpack the Emmy-winning comedy series. You'll hear Hannah Einbinder and Jean Smart speak to their on-screen dynamic, along with Hacks writer and actor Pat Regan, on how their improv experience helped them when shooting scenes and what it was like writing scripts for specific actors. You'll also hear from crew members like the costume designers on what it was like creating the world that Deborah and Ava inhabit. Hear stories from the show's writer's room, on-set antics, and more. Watch Hacks streaming exclusively on Max and listen to the official Hacks podcast on Max or wherever you get your podcasts. Maureen, what's this I hear about you going to film school? I am. I want to gain valuable skills while making films and developing my creativity. So I'm attending the New York Film Academy. I'm thinking about becoming one of them people that writes the numbers on the title board. NIFA is a very respected film school. I hear they offer a variety of options to meet your educational goals, whether you want a BFA or MFA degree or want to learn at a quicker pace with a short-term programme. That's right. They've got workshops and summer camps in filmmaking, acting, cinematography, screenwriting, producing, game design, musical theatre and more. Are you attending in New York? Might do. They have multiple campuses in some amazing locations like New York, LA, Miami, Italy, Australia and online. And you can learn more about the New York Film Academy at nyfa.edu. That's nyfa.edu. Thanks, Maureen. Hello, my neighbour Maureen. What's this I hear about you getting a promotion at the office? Didn't you just get promoted last month? It's all thanks to Canva. I've been nailing every meeting with AI-powered Canva presentations. Isn't that Canva's AI slide generator where you just describe your presentation in a few words and Canva presentations will generate captivating slides in seconds? That's right. And to top it off, I use MagicWrite, Canva's AI text generator, to perfect my points. 
Sounds brilliant, Maureen. No more copying and pasting from other programs. No more app switching. Can Canva Docs with MagicWrite generate any text you want for work? Yes. Sales proposals, marketing plans? Yeah. Meeting agendas, ratings of all 12 Muppet movies using the extensive point system that I developed at age 12. Anyone can save time with Canva's AI-powered tools. Generate your draft fast with Canva Docs at canva.com, designed for work. Oh, thanks, my name is Maureen. Yeah, thank you. Rob Savage, you have been brilliant. Congratulations. However, when you were out with a lady and you were trying to impress her and there was a big liquid nitrogen tank <laughs> uh, in this bar and you went, oh, I'll, t- I'll tell you what, I could, I could drink a whole load of liquid nitrogen. And she said, I don't know if that, I don't know if you could. And you went, yeah, yeah, no, I could, I could. And she said, you don't have to. And you went, no, I can. And you took off the tap, went to put it in your mouth, but the whole thing just sprayed out. You immediately froze. She was looking at you. She screamed, 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 screamed. Everyone in the bar looked across. What the fuck? You were frozen. You couldn't say anything. And then you felt yourself tipping forwards. And you were like, oh, God, in your head. You were like, oh, God. And she stepped out of the way. And you smashed on the floor of the bar, shattered into pieces. It was only then you died. And uh, I was walking past the bar with a coffin. You know what I'm like? I go, what was that sound of shattering (laughs) ice in there? Pop my head in. There's this girl sort of screaming and laughing. And I go, what's happened? She goes, I was just on a date with a guy and he said he could drink liquid nitrogen and then it killed him. And I was like, oh, that's mad. (laughs) (laughs) Embarrassing. And she goes, yeah. I suspected he, was, he wasn't going to be able to. <laughs> I tried to stop him. And I go, is that him? She goes, yeah, I think his name was Rob. And I go, what, Rob Savage? She goes, yeah. I go, oh, fucking hell. I go, oh, come on and help me with this. And we're, ah, it's so cold, all the bits of you. So we're having to put on, like, industrial gloves from the bar. <laughs> we pick up all the shards of you. It's a fucking mess. So much of it. You're in such little pieces, but there's so much of it. The, the coffin is rammed. There's only enough room in this coffin for me to slip one DVD into the side for you to take across to the other side. And when you're there, it's movie night every night. One day, it's your movie night. What film are you taking to show the people of heaven when it is your movie night, Rob Savage? You know what? I think it would be Bringing Out the Dead, the Martin Scorsese movie. <laughs> which Amazing. Which, which, for why? I was watching that very recently. Tell me, which, why that? Because... Because I think I'd like to show them up, up there how underrated that is. It's the Scorsese movie I go back yeah. and watch the most. It's like, you know, if Taxi Driver is, is sleeplessness and whiskey, that, that movie is like too much caffeine and staying up for three nights in a row. It's so brilliantly nervy. It's got some of my, my favorite Scorsese uh, set pieces in it. It's a movie that I constantly watch just for how he he stages the scenes and, and moves the camera and blocks. And it's one of those gorgeous looking movies as well. The the cinematography is is just jaw-dropping. And it's not the best Scorsese movie. It's not, it's not probably even my favorite Scorsese movie. It's the one that I can watch again and again mm. and again and just absorb that Scorsese goodness. And um and I think that's what I'd want to be doing if I was um, sitting on a cloud after being shattered. It's also funny. It's so funny, that film. I think it's like got so many proper jokes in it. Really like funny recurring thing of him trying to be fired and he's, the boss is like, I'll fire you tomorrow. I'll fire you yeah. tomorrow. It's funny. Like there's so many good jokes in it. Yeah. Bing Rames is fucking hilarious in it. Tom Sizemore. It's great. Tom Sizemore, terrifying and funny. Yeah. Great. Good it's film. The, it's the best. Well, Rob Savage, what a delight. You're brilliant. Thank you so much. What would you like to tell people to look out for 
I don't know when this is going to come out. So either The Boogeyman may be out by the time this comes out. So I would say to everyone, go see that. Is there anything else you would like to tell people to look for or listen to from you? No, that's all I got going on. It's all boogie all of the time. Go and see it in the cinema. It really is a, a, a big screen movie. Um, yeah, it is. And it is. If, if this comes out after Boogeyman's already come out, then we've already established that past and present exist at the same time. So go and, yeah. go and see it e- so either way. Yeah. Thank you very much, man. That was really great. That was so much fun. It was very good to see you. Have a wonderful day. Good day to you. So that was episode 254. Head over to the Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Brett Goldstein for the extra 20 minutes of chat, secrets and video with Rob. Remember to watch Shrinking and Ted Lasso on Apple TV+. Go to Apple Podcasts, give us a five-star rating, but write about the film that means the most to you and why. It's a very nice thing to read and we really appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thank you so much to Rob for being so open and for giving me his time for being excellent. Thanks to Scroobius Pip and the Distraction Pieces Network. Thanks to Buddy Peace for producing it. Thanks to iHeartMedia and Will Farrell's Big Money Players Network for hosting it. Thanks to Adam Richardson for the graphics and Lisa Lydon for the photography. Come and join me next week for another smasher of a guest. But that is it for now. Have a good week. And in the meantime, please, now more than ever, be excellent to each other. Sometimes I dream of becoming an actor. Have you ever dreamt of becoming an actor? Maureen, what is it you think I'd do for a living? Never mind, sounds like you need the New York Film Academy. NIFA offers workshops, BFA and MFA degrees and summer camps in filmmaking, acting, journalism and more, online and on campuses across the globe. To make films alongside industry professionals, explore more at nyfa.edu. Thanks, Brett. Thank you, Maureen. Maureen, your Canva presentation looks brilliant. Thanks, Brett. That's because I used AI-powered Canva presentations. I just described what I wanted and Canva presentations generated the perfect slides. You can even make a talking presentation for people to watch on their own time. Check this out. Recording. 101 Reasons Why Beaches is the Saddest Film Ever Made by your neighbour Maureen. Is it easy to use? If you can use a computer, you can nail your next work presentation with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. Oh, thanks, my name is Maureen. Yeah, thank you. I'm so excited to tell you JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. What I love about Walker Hayes is his laid-back nature. He's a family man and being a country megastar while also having seven kids. You know he likes to keep his style cool and casual. This new collection is perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear, affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count.